says twice in Psalm 119, it has been good that he was afflicted because he learned God's word. And as we think about individuals being afflicted and difficulty, two individuals you can, one you can continue to pray for, and one, another one going through something this week. Doris Sando remains at, well, I'm sorry, she don't remain. She was moved to the Meadows on Friday, is doing well, and would thank you for your prayers. Those of you who visited and sent cards and so on, she'll be at Meadows, I'm not sure how long, but for a period of time. And then also you can pray for Gene Caesar. Tuesday he goes to New York. And we'll have a catheterization and then decide if they're going to do a bypass and a heart valve, one or the other or both, right? So you can keep him in prayer this week. That's Tuesday goes for that. Then Wednesday morning is when the actual procedure would take place. God has given us his word, not merely to learn, but seek to live out. And if I were to entitle what I'm going to read now, I would entitle it as a modern-day hypocrite. Jack took a long look at his speedometer before slowing down. 73 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, fourth time in as many months. How could a guy get caught so often? When his car slowed down to about 10 miles an hour, Jack pulled over, but only partially. Let the cop worry about the potential traffic hazard. Maybe some car will his, tweak his backside with a mirror. The cop was stepping out of his car, the big pad in his hand. Bob. Bob from church. Jack sunk farther into his trench coat. This was worse than the coming ticket. A cop catching a guy from his own church. A guy who happened to be a little eager to get home after a long day at the office. A guy he was about to play golf with tomorrow. Jumping out of the car, he approached a man he saw every Sunday, a man he'd never seen in the uniform. Hi, Bob. Fancy meeting you like this. Hello, Jack. No smile. Guess you caught me red-handed in a rush to see my wife and kids. Yes, I guess so. Bob seen on uncertain. Good. I've seen some long days at the office lately. I'm afraid I bet the rules just a bit, just this once. Jack towed a pebble on the pavement. Diane said something about the roast beef and potatoes tonight. Know what I mean? I know what you mean. I also know that you have a reputation in our precinct. Ouch. This is not going in the right direction. Time to change tactics. What'd you clock me at? Seventy. Would you sit back in your car, please? Now, wait a minute here, Bob. I checked as soon as I saw you. I was barely nudging 65. The lie seemed to come easier with every ticket. Please, Jack, in the car. Flustered, Jack hunched himself through the still open door. Slamming it shut, he stared at the dashboard. He was in no rush to open the window. The minutes ticked by. Bob scribbled on his pad. Why hadn't he asked for his driver's license? Whatever the reason, it would be a month of Sundays before Jack would ever sit near this cop again. A tap on the door jerked his head to the left. There was Bob, a folded paper in his hand. Jack rolled down the window a mere two inches, just enough for Bob to pass him the slip. Thanks. 
Jack could not quite keep the sneer out of his voice. Bob returned to his police car without a word. Jack watched him retreat in the mirror. Jack unfolded the sheet of paper. How much was this one going to cost him? Wait a minute, what is this? Some kind of joke? Certainly not a ticket. Jack began to read. Dear Jack, once upon a time I had a daughter. She was six when she was killed by a car. You guessed it, a speeding driver. A fine and three months in jail and the man was free. Free to hug his daughters, all three of them. I had only one. And I'm going to have to wait until heaven before I can ever hug her again. A thousand times I've tried to forgive that man. A thousand times I thought I had. Maybe I did. But I need to do it again, even now. Pray for me. And be careful, Jack. My son is all I have left. Bob. Jack turned around in time to see Bob's car pull away and head down the road. Jack watched until it disappeared. A full 15 minutes later, he too pulled away and drove slowly home, praying for forgiveness and hugging a surprised wife and kids when he arrived. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We've discussed Mark chapter 7. We find that Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, and this is not the first time that he has dealt with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He has some very strong things to say to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Let's begin reading with verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unwashed, or unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplaces, they, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Now please keep in mind that as Jesus interacts with the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that this is not the first encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Back in chapter 2, 
Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And we know that the, he then healed the man to demonstrate that he was God. But another time where he contended with the Pharisees. In chapter 2 and verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, he has an encounter with the Pharisees, teachers of the law. We find also in chapter 2, 23 and 24, that they question him about the Sabbath day. In chapter 3, when he healed a man with a lame hand, they went out to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. When we get to chapter 7, we have another encounter of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and Jesus. Last week, we discussed the quote from Isaiah. This morning, we want to look at a couple other things. He calls them hypocrites. Clearly says in verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a play actor, a phony, one who would wear a mask, acting out a role without sincerity. Words and actions divorced from the heart. Words and actions coming from a heart that is void of love for God and delight in the Lord. Here's what a hypocrite is. He takes a mask. So that you really don't know their true identity. What is on the outside is different than what is on the inside. He says, you Pharisees and teachers of the law are hypocrites. They neglected the core of life, the heart. The heart being the inner person, the desires, the motives, the attitudes, the thinking. He says, you're hypocrites. Your hearts are far from me. And he says that their worship, as he quotes from Isaiah, they worship me in vain. It's fruitless. It's without profit. It's ineffective. It's corrupt. It's perverted. So these Pharisees, they would go to the temple. They would worship. And God says, your hearts are far from me. You're hypocrites. Your worship is fruitless. This morning as I was praying about our times together today, one of the things I said to God, God, don't let our time together as a corporate body be fruitless. Because if it is, we're hypocrites. We come, we perform a duty, we listen, we sing, we give, we pray, and we go home empty. He said to the Pharisees, teachers of the law, you're hypocrites. Your hearts are far from me, and your worship is in vain. What Jesus says about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what was true 
of the Jews in Isaiah's day is true of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were hypocrites. The heart of the Pharisees and teachers of the law were far from God. Their worship was vain. They teach man-made rules. They have let go of the commands of God. He clearly says that. Thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions. You hold to the traditions of men. Now he is speaking to the religious leaders. He's speaking to the pastors, if you please. He's speaking to the elders, the deacons. And he's saying to them, you're hypocrites. Your worship is in vain. Your hearts are far from me. He clearly states that he's talking about the traditions of men. He says in verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And then in verse 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. The verb in verse 9 you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God doesn't come through as strongly in English as it is in Greek. It's not merely that they had set them aside, they had rejected them. It's like a child playing. And dad or mom say to the child, son, daughter, you're to do this. And the son or daughter looks around and says, no. That's what the Pharisees and teachers of the law were doing. They were rejecting by a conscious choice. They knew what the law said. They had their traditions. They said no to the Mosaic law with their traditions. And they did it to observe their own commands. The Pharisees the teachers of the law were doing something in place of the commands of God. I'm going to give a ex couple examples. One building upon what I read earlier about Bob. I drive down the road. I see the speed limit sign that says 55. And I choose to do 65. I'm saying no to God. And yes, to my law. Because God set up authorities. Just an example. Another one. We go through difficulties of life. We have trials. And God clearly says in our trials, we're to rejoice. So I go through a trial. And I say, God, I don't like this. Get me out of it. What have I done? I have rejected what God says in his word to rejoice in the difficulty, and I've taken my own rule and said, God, I don't like it. Get me out of it. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were neglecting what God said to do their own thing. And then Jesus goes on, and he gives an example 
of what they were doing. He says, you have a fine way in verse 9 of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. What's the example? For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. He goes on to explain that, you know, someone said, Corbin, you know, then they were out of it. We need to understand something about Jewish custom. R. Kent Yu says, and I quote, every Jew understood that the fifth command, commandment to honor one's father and mother included taking care of them as they aged. But scribal tradition offered a way to get around it, which was simply to say that one's possessions were Corbin given to God. Even more tradition made a man keep his Corbin vow even if they were spoken rashly in a fit of anger for tradition said that one's vow to God was more important than keeping the fifth commandment. This amazing twist of God's word by people who esteemed it as holy is especially revealing. Those who try to justify themselves by the law end up modifying it in order to escape its authority. In the same way, those who handle God's word without submitting to it are in the constant process of conforming it to their self-complacency. Jesus had the Pharisees reeling, and he was not about to stop. In face, he made his closing remarks as public as possible. The crowd was probably standing back at a respectful distance as these religious heavyweights engaged Jesus. Now he motioned them closer, end of quote. Corbin would be similar to deferred giving today. Today a person may will property to a charity, to an institution that will go to the institution at the time of death, but remains, they maintain control of it until death. So what would be happening, the Jews would say, I'm giving this to God as a gift. And because I'm giving this money, property, to God as a gift, I don't have to use it to take care of my parents. So their tradition of offering something to God which released them from caring for their parents took priority over what God said. He clearly says in verse 13, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Their pattern of making a vow, I will give this to God, and the process try to get out of taking care of their parents, was not a bad apple in the barrel. You come where it displays the whole perversion that the Pharisees and teachers of the law had. Their mindset was to take their traditions and put them above the Mosaic law. And you do many things like that. Maybe another modern day example would be that we buy a car we buy a TV, we buy a computer, we have phones, we buy a house. 
And we say, I have to make all these payments because if I don't make the payment, something is going to go haywire, you know. I won't get to keep all of this. And in the process, we have very little to give to God and to our fellow humans who are in need. Yeah, I'll pay my bills on time because I want, but we have little left for God. Would be a form of what the Pharisees were doing. And then Jesus calls the crowd to him in verse 14 to drive home more fully what he's talking about. And he talks about the fact that nothing outside a man can make him unclean. By going into him, rather, it's what comes out of the man. And we'll emphasize that, you know, in the future. What does that mean? He's talking about food. Ever stop to consider how many religions are centered around food? It's very dominant in Christianity. Islam, Buddhism, Judaism. And our whole country is consumed with food and what we eat or don't eat. New York City is in the process. I think they already made it maybe a law, you know, or an ordinance that you can't buy certain size drinks in restaurants in New York City. It's all tied in with food. We're not dealing with something new. <laughs> Been around for many years. But he's continuing to build upon the traditions that the Pharisees had. And we'll comment more on that. I'm going to go through a bunch of these fast, so don't worry about it. Hypocrites. They focus on rules, not relationships. I grew up in a very rule-oriented community. Religious community, very rule-oriented, where people would keep rules but the relationships were not very good. Hypocrites measure standards by being, or measure by standards being met, not the fruit of the Spirit. But I didn't eat that. I did go to church. I did read my Bible. But there's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control present. Hypocrites build fences rather than the freedom to depend upon the Spirit. The Spirit can lead us. We don't need all kinds of rules added to Scripture. Hypocrites seek to control others rather than love them where they are. Oh, you've got to respond in this way. Just love them where they are. Let the Spirit of God do work. Hypocrites are proud of themselves rather than thankful for Christ. Boy, look at what I did. I've been to Sunday school for the last... 61 years and didn't miss a Sunday. And I'm walking like this because my meadows are pulling me down. See, in some respects, I was hypocritical when I was in high school. I was a FFA member, Future Farmers of America. And they would put the name on the jacket, Dan Brubaker, I was state vice president. And then you were expected to pin all your medals on. Look at what I did. You know, proud. Hypocrites, rules for many areas of life rather than teaching to walk in the Spirit. All kinds of rules, got to keep people in line. Let's walk in the Spirit. A duty to standards. 
rather than desire from the heart. Yes, when I was in college, I went to chapel every Monday morning and I checked that I was to Sunday school and I was to Sunday morning service and I was to Sunday evening service and I was to Wednesday evening service. I'm not sure where my heart was. I did my duty. In some respects, I was a hypocrite. I went because I had to. No one checks up on me now. It's probably good. So I go because I want to. You probably notice if I didn't show up some week, but when I'm on vacation, no one asks me, did you go to church on your vacation? You don't have to. If you want to, you're fine. But now let's think about some applications of hypocrites today. And I'm going to begin with pastors. And the reason I'm beginning with pastors is because I want to keep in the context, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. So give some examples of how pastors could possibly, possibly be hypocrites. Teach. Counsel married couples to stay together no matter what. But they leave a church after three four, ten years due to goals not being met or achieved or relational struggles. If I speak to someone and say, stick it out in your marriage, stay together no matter what, but I walk away because the church is not doing what I think it should do, I'm being a hypocrite. And I know pastors will say, and I think it's true in some cases, others I'm not so sure, well, the Lord led me. Well, maybe the Lord is leading this man away from his wife too then. Exhorting a couple to resolve their conflict. but he is at odds with a fellow pastor or a board member and doesn't resolve it. And just goes on being at odds. I say with this with deep hurt in my heart. I know a pastor who preached for years and for years had bitterness in his heart towards another pastor. He was confronted with that, and he continued to maintain that. That's hypocritical. Another one spends more time with people who have money than those with little. Oh, hanging around with Daniel, he's quite a bit of money, you know. He might be a good giver to the church. But over here is Travis. He don't have much. So I won't spend as much time with him. We're to care for sheep. Not according to what they have or don't have. Use people to accomplish his goals for the church rather than helping believers to know Christ and to desire him. If you're in a business, you have a business, you have some goals you would like to accomplish and you will move to see that they're accomplished. 
not knocking that in any way. And a pastor of a church may have a goals. I would like to see this happen in the church. And then use people. Oh, yeah. Daniel really be good at this. And Joe will be good at this. But not helping them to walk with God, but using them to accomplish his goals. Hypocritical. Measuring success by numbers. Results, money, buildings, programs, rather than desiring to please his audience of one, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Beloved, don't measure a church leader by numbers, by how well their church is doing, how much money is coming in, whether they were able to add to the building and so on, but whether or not they're pleasing their audience of one, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. A pastor may talk about prayer, teach him prayer, but spend little personal time in prayer, and little, if any, in prayer with his wife. The writer of Scripture does say in Acts chapter 6 that the 12 said, we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of God's word and to prayer and let someone else care for the tables. He said, hypocrites. I'll leave you in a little secret if you don't already know. The enemy, Satan, delights to get pastors because if he got them, he got the whole church because he is providing leadership for the church. Pray for those who lead and don't be afraid to ask hard questions. So if you came up to me and say, Pastor, are you praying in private? Are you praying for us? And I say, not very much. Then you probably need to say, Pastor, you're a hypocrite. Do you want change? Give a couple other applications and we'll wrap it up and we'll sing together. Elders, deacons, ministry leaders, and teachers. I'm using them because, again, he is writing to leaders. He's speaking to leaders. Teach others at services and in ministry, but don't teach your own wife and children. The test of my being able to lead a church is how am I teaching my wife and my children? And my children are grown, I'm talking when they were at home. See, it's hypocritical for me to teach in a public setting, but not being willing to teach my wife and my children. And I'm going to leave you in another little secret, that one of the greatest struggles that the body of Christ in America faces today is to have those in positions of leadership, and they struggle with teaching their own families. That's, again, the enemy at work. We need to pray for one another and encourage one another and seek help from others. Pray with others in Sunday school church service, but not with wife or husband or children, depends who we're talking about. Tell believers to guard their heart, but you have TV, radio on for hours, and I'm talking that which would present an ungodly worldview. Beloved, 
Jesus is very hard on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He says, you're hypocrites. You worship me in vain. Your hearts are far from me. May I be a pastor that has a heart that is close to God, that is not hypocritical. And I don't worship in vain. May we as leaders in our church grow in understanding that we tend towards being hypocrites. That's natural. But we encourage one another. We pray for one another. We pull together and hold other, each other accountable so that we're worshiping God from our heart. And what we do in private is the same as what we do in public, and what we do in public is the same as how we respond in private. Our desire should be for the Lord to make us a captive because we know whom we have believed. Let's sing together.